All right. Well, good morning. Uh, it's good uh, to be here. It is good to uh, have an Easter service and thankful for technology and that we are able to celebrate the resurrected Savior together, uh, even though we are distant. Uh, we, are, we are the church, and it's not this building that makes up the church, but we are the church. Those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior and the resurrected Lord, and even though we are distant from one another, we can still be with one another because we are the church. And so as we gather today in our, in our living rooms, uh, we are celebrating. I know this is different. I know many of you wanted to, to be here for Easter, but, but we are celebrating today. We are celebrating the risen Savior, and we've done that in, in music so far, and now we're going to do that through the preached word. Uh, the text that we're looking at this morning is Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 is our text. And, and I've entitled today's message, How Can You Experience True Hope? How can you experience true hope? Now, Luke 24 is quite a lengthy chapter, so I'm not going to read all of it, but I do want us to get into some of that. So look at verse 1 with me. We'll read down to verse 15, and then we'll skip over to verse 25, then we'll pray and we'll get into the Word. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now look at verse 15. I mean verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Speak to the Lord in prayer. And God, we come to you today thankful for the opportunity to gather together as a church, uh, gather together to, to hear your word preached, Lord. We're thankful for technology that allows that. We are, we are even more thankful for the resurrected Savior and the fact that we are here today celebrating that. And God, may today be a day 
of celebration, not just a day for us to gather together with our immediate family and quarantine and, and loathing all of what has happened, but may today be a day of celebration, a day for us to celebrate the risen Lord, the hope that we have in Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read an article the other day about an experiment that an Austrian professor did with one of his students. Uh, and he turned this man's eyesight exactly upside down. And he didn't do this with surgery or anything like that. And said he, he did this with these goggles that this man was supposed to wear 24-7. And so he put these goggles on and it, it turned the, the world completely upside down, right? The, the bottom was, was top and then the top became bottom. And as you can imagine, this man was not able to function very well. He couldn't walk down the stairs. He, he could barely even walk straight. And if an object was, was held out to him to grasp, he could, he could barely grasp that object. If, if somebody poured some water, he would flip his cup upside down to try to catch that water. And, and this man, he definitely could not drive and you would not want him to drive either. But after about 10 days or so, something amazing began to happen. His brain began to interpret the world in such a way that, that the upside-down world turned right side up. It, it turned a foreign world, something that seemed out of place, into a world in which he was able to live, a world in which he was able to operate. Now, knowing that, could you imagine uh, if you were offered to wear these goggles would you take them up on that offer? Would you, would you take them up in the, that offer to live in an upside-down world at least, for, at least for 10 days or so until your brain began to correct things so that you could actually operate in that world? Could you imagine living in a world where the bottom was top and the top was bottom, a world that is completely foreign to the world in which you live right now? Now, in some sense, it's probably difficult for us to imagine living in an upside-down world. The world in which we live is the, world, is the only world that we have, have ever known. Thanks to our habits and our routines and our preferences, the, the world in which we live is, is a world that is comfortable. It is a world that is even predictable at times to us. But while it can be difficult to imagine living in a world that, that operates completely different than the one that, that we live in now, if we are honest, there is something in all of us that desires something else. This is why we, you know, create our own oasis. You know, a perfectly manicured lawn with, with nice flower beds there in, in our backyard. A, a house that has technology that, that just works and connects all of us together and connects us to the outside world. A library with all of the books that we could ever want in a comfortable chair and a fireplace uh, to sit next to to read them in. A, a back porch where we can enjoy the cool of the morning and the sunsets in the afternoon. Yes, that, that is my oasis. And I'm sure that, that you guys have an oasis as well. One in mind, one that you are seeking to build right now. And there's a reason behind all of that activity. I mean, we encounter brokenness, not only in our own community, but we encounter brokenness in the world at large. And we are encountering that brokenness right now. 
here's the thing. We have this natural desire. We have this longing to, to, to push that, that brokenness out. We were not created to live in a broken world. Instead, we were created to live in a perfect garden where there was no sin, there was no disease, there was no death, there was no destruction at all. That is the world in which we are created to live. But, but try as we might, we still encounter this brokenness each and every single day. And it's that brokenness that, that pushes us to search for something more. Something that will give us hope. Something that will give us meaning. Something that will give us protection and, and purpose in life. And what do we do? Well, we continue to build our own little bubble, our own oasis to, to shield ourselves from the world. Or, or maybe some of you decide, you know what, my oasis is not working for me. The bubble that I built isn't working for me. And so you are the ones who go out on a new adventure. You move to a new city in search of a new life and new friends. You, you're constantly jumping from relationship to relationship. You're constantly changing careers because that which you are, are, are pushing into is not working for you. Time and time again, we're disappointed. And that's because we can't ultimately protect ourselves from this broken world. And, the, and this broken world cannot give us what we need. But here's the thing, all is, all is not lost. There is hope. And so how? How can we experience true hope? Well, we don't need a, a better oasis. We don't need a new adventure. Instead, what we need is an encounter that gives us eyes to see in an upside-down world. Luke 24, it opens with this amazing story. It is the story of the resurrection. It is, it is the reason why we gather together as a church. It's the reason why the church even exists because of the resurrection. And Luke 24 opens with a story of this. Several of the women that were a part of Jesus' entourage, they, they go to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body. Look at verse 1, what they find. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, <coughs> they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. But, but to their shock and in their amazement in verses 2 and 3, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, of course, this is unprecedented. I mean, the text tells us that they are, they are perplexed. They are, they are puzzled. They are, they are amazed. They, they just can't, they, they can't, they can't understand. They're baffled at, at what they're seeing, at what has, has happened here. And they had, they did not know what to make of this situation at all. If what they were experiencing wasn't already, uh, you know, bad enough, we, we learn in verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces, <clears throat> excuse me, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And so the angels, they, they testify that Jesus has, has died according to plan, that Jesus has, has risen according to plan. His predictions, all of what he has talked about has come true. All of what the scriptures talk about has come true. And hearing that, these women, 
in verse 8, they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the leaven and to all the rest. And then we learn who was there. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And so we see that they share with them the experience that they had just had, the fact that they had just encountered an empty tomb. And not only that, but they encountered these, these two angels, these two angels that told them exactly what happened, that Jesus had risen from the dead, just as he said. They, they recount this to the apostles. Look how these men reacted, verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. And so they hear what these women have to say, but, but they don't believe them. They think this is an, an idle tale. They think this is just something that, that is useless, a, a purposeless story. I mean, why are they, why are they telling them this? And Jesus has died. Jesus has, has been buried in the grave. Why are they telling this? Their hope is gone. Everything has, has been lost. The story is, is useless. But one of them, Peter, he, he rose and ran to the tomb, verse 12. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. You see, while the other disciples, while, while they stayed back, while, while they just thought this was an idle tale that these women were, were, were speaking to them, Peter gets up and he says, I'm going to go check things out on my own. He runs to the grave, he gets to the grave, and he sees that it's open, just like the women had said, and he sees Jesus' linen burial cloth laying in the tomb. Jesus is nowhere to be found. It is just as the women had said, and this causes him to marvel. And could it be, could it be that, that Jesus has really resurrected from the grave? Well, while this experience had an influence on Peter, it did not have an influence on, on many of the other disciples. Uh, we see in verse 12 that, that at least two of them, at least two of them did not believe what had happened. And they are walking away from Jerusalem, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. You see, these men, these men were devastated. These men are, 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 are walking away from Jerusalem. Their world has just been turned upside down. These two men had, had placed their hope in this man who they, who they thought was the Christ, who they thought was the promised Messiah that the Scriptures pointed to. But, but this man, this man who they thought was their Savior, he had been crucified. He had been put on trial, just as like a common criminal, and he had been put on a cross, and then he had been buried in the grave. And now, he, now this grave that he was buried in, he is no longer there. He's gone. The Savior that they had trusted in is gone. He's been killed and now he's nowhere to be found. Their hopes were dashed. And so they leave Jerusalem with their heads hung low. And they're discussing all of what had happened over the last few days. Now we aren't privileged to their conversation. Luke does not record that for us here. But, but I could imagine them wondering, what, what are they going to do now? I mean, the one that they had been following, the one that they thought was the Messiah, the one that, that, that everything pointed to as, as the God-sent Savior. I mean, if anybody was going to be the God-sent Savior, it was, it was Jesus. 
All of the miracles that he had done, all of the teaching that he had provided, all of the things seemed to line up just right. Now this man is gone. What what is he going to do? And it's not like he just hightailed it out of, out of town before they found out that he was some con artist. No, he had been nailed to a cross. He had been killed. And now he's nowhere to be found. What are they going to do? And like these men, you might, be probably, you might be wondering the same. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What you have placed your hope in, it hasn't delivered for you. And now you're wondering, well, what, am I, what am I going to do? Now, in case you're wondering, you are not alone. Thousands, if not millions of people are in your position right now. I came across an article just the other day that reported that the average credit card debt that Americans hold is $6,000 per person as of the end of 2019. Now, many of you are probably thinking, oh, that's just the millennials. You know, they, they, they're just out there spending all that money. In fact, millennials are actually doing better than the rest of us. 35 to 65 is that target age where, where the debt just rises. And really, in that 45 to, to 55 range is where the debt is the most. It, it piles up there in the middle. $9,000 on average. Those between 45 and 55 hold in debt. They're, most, they're the most indebted people in the country. Now, there are many reasons why people hold debt like that, and, but I believe that the, mass, the vast majority of people do so because they are seeking something that they, will believe, they believe will provide them with hope, they will, that will provide them with meaning, a new experience, a, a vacation, a, a fancy dinner, you know, some new clothes, a, a new outfit, a, a, some, some gadget that they've been eyeing for some time. And they begin to seek these things. They don't have the money to purchase them, and so they just throw it on the credit card. The credit card companies make that so easy for us. But, but time and, and time again, these things that, that, we, that we spend our money on, these things that we go into debt to, to gain, that we're not willing to wait for the future, that we have to have right now, time and time again, these things, these things let us down. They don't provide us with the hope and the meaning and the purpose that, that, that we wanted. And I know that that is the case because I was once in this boat. You know, I was seeking, I was searching, but, but every single thing that I would place my hope in wouldn't work out. And so I would, I would, I would go to the next thing. And my, my credit card debt would keep rising because I thought, well, if I just, if I just get this, then, then things are going to be okay. Life is going to be meaningful. I'm going to find hope in this thing here. I don't have the money now, but, but I need the hope. I need the meaning. And so I began to spend, and I began to spend, and my credit card debt kept going up and up and up, and every single thing that I placed my hope in let me down time and time again. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe you are, you are searching and you don't really know what you're searching for, but, but you're just, you're searching, you're just, you're throwing your money, you're throwing your credit card at things, you're searching for the next thing that you think will provide you with hope, will provide you with satisfaction. And maybe that's why you tuned in today. Maybe you tuned in today because you thought, well, well, maybe, maybe Christianity could provide me with hope. Maybe Jesus could provide me with, with some hope. Maybe that's why you decided to tune in today. 
And let me just say, if that's you, man, the search could be over for you today. You don't need to keep looking. Instead, what you need is the same encounter these men had on the road to Emmaus. Look at verses 15 and 16. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so, so the very one, the very one that they are discussing, the very one that they are grieving over begins to, to walk with them. But there's just one problem. They don't recognize him. And many commentators, they're, they're, they're divided over why this might be the case, why they don't recognize Jesus for, for who he really is. Many think that, you know, Jesus' appearance might have changed in the resurrection. Others think that it was Satan, that Satan has, has blinded them so that they cannot see Jesus for who he really is and believe in him. And others think that God has not opened their eyes yet, which is correct. And why don't they recognize Jesus? Well, if we keep going, we'll find out. As Jesus joins their party, he asks them a question, verse 17. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Now, that, that literally stops them in their tracks, and, and the floodgates begin to open. I mean, not only do they recount the, the events of the last few days as if, well, how could this man be around Jerusalem and not know what has taken place? But they, they recount the events to him anyways. They, they begin to, to pour out their heart to Jesus as well. Telling of their hopes and their dreams and, and their fears and, and how they thought that they had found this man who was the Christ, but, but he isn't the Christ. It turned out that, that he wasn't the one that they thought that he was. And their hope is, is lost. But Jesus... Jesus was not gone. In an ironic turn of events, the very one that they're lamenting over is walking with them. They just don't see him for who he is. And hearing of their hopelessness, Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to allow you to wallow in this for long. In verse 25, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, could you imagine? Could you imagine you meet this man on the road and he just kind of begins to walk with you and, and you, you tell him all the things that you have experienced over the last several days, how, how your hope has been dashed and he looks at you and calls you a fool. I mean, imagine if you pick up a hitchhiker, you shouldn't pick up hitchhikers, but imagine you pick up a hitchhiker and for whatever reason, you just decide you're going to unload everything on this guy. And this guy's like, man, I just wanted, I just wanted to ride with you. Uh, I just, just didn't want to walk to my destination. But, but he doesn't say anything, not, at least not at first, because, you know, you're giving him a ride. And, and, and so he's just listening to you. He's patient with you. He's, he's nodding his head. And all the while he's thinking, man, this guy's crazy. What is he doing? Why is he, why is he saying this to me? And then you get finished. And you glance over to him and you give him that look like, please, g g give me a word. Give me some hope. Tell me it's going to be all right. And then he calls you a fool. Man, that guy wouldn't be riding with you much longer. He would be kicking him out of the car. and He would be walking to his destination. But here's the thing. That, that didn't happen here. 
Even though Jesus was, was blunt with them after they had poured out their life to him and, and all of their hopes and their dreams and, and how, he had, how, he, how it had been dashed, they don't, they don't tell him to go on. No, they allow him to continue to walk with him and they listen to what he has to say. And Jesus continues to talk. And he points them. He points them to God's plan. He points them back to, back to the Scriptures. And he shows them how God's plan has been worked out. A plan that provides the, the true gospel. Maybe that's what you need right now. Maybe you, maybe you need to hear God's plan of salvation. Maybe you need to hear the true gospel because you've been believing in an, an almost gospel. And I believe that's why many people reject Christianity. It's because the gospel message that they hear, the one that they initially believe in, is not really the true gospel. It's an almost gospel. It's one that almost gets them there, but it's a counterfeit gospel. It's one that offers hope maybe initially, but it's not one that can fulfill its hope. And so it leaves them let down. And one of the, one of the almost gospels that I believe affects many of us, at least in the Bible belt, is is the therapeutic gospel. And the therapeutic gospel teaches, it falsely teaches, that Jesus will make everything better, that life will go well if we would just have enough faith. And the reason why things aren't going well is because you don't have faith. But if, if you would just have enough faith, then life would go well for you. But here's the thing, for many of you, it hasn't, hasn't played out that way. Some of you have experienced setbacks in your career, You've experienced sickness. You've even experienced the death of a loved one. And now you're wondering, well, well, why hasn't Jesus delivered on his promise? I have had faith. I have had the most faith that I could ever have. How come Jesus has not delivered on his promise? And here's the thing. Jesus never promised us our best life now. He never promised that there would be no suffering, that we would never experience hardship. Instead, Jesus actually promised the opposite. He promised his disciples, those that would follow him, that there would be suffering, that there would be hardship, that there might even be death. This is why Jesus tells us, you need to count the cost before you come and follow me. You see, Jesus is not promising you your best life now, but Jesus is promising you hope. Those who believe the good news about Jesus can have hope now and always. And we can be sure of the hope that Jesus offers because his death has always been God's plan. Jesus is explicit about that in today's text. Look at verses 26 and 27. There Jesus asks, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, man, do we wish we were in on that conversation. Walking on the road to Emmaus, these two men that day, they, 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 Jesus heard their cry for help. Jesus pointed them to true salvation. He pointed them to the true gospel that was found in the scriptures. You see, God's word, it is not an, an inspirational manual. 
It is not something that, that just gives us five tips for a better life or a better career or, or a better marriage. No, God's word is primarily about Jesus and the hope that he offers us as the Christ. And Jesus points that out to these two men on the road to Emmaus. Beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus walks through the scriptures. He shows them that his sacrifice for our sins has always been God's plan. And he fulfills that plan in his death, burial, and resurrection. But in order to experience the peace and the release that Jesus offers, in order to experience true salvation, we have to be willing to admit that we are the problem. We have to be willing to admit that we are sinners. And as we've talked about many times in the past, being a sinner is someone who is actually living in rebellion to God. It's not just that we miss the mark a few times here and there. It's not just that we do a few bad things. It's that our entire life is characterized by being a rebel. We want to be in control of our life. We don't want to take our hands off of our life. We want to direct things. And some of us might go so far as to say, yeah, I believe that, but I'm going to hold on to these portions of my life. Jesus can have all of this over here, but when it comes to these things, he can't have. I am going to direct my life. Even at that point, you're still saying, I am the king. You're wanting Jesus, and you're wanting to be in control at the same time. But that's not how it works. You see, that is, that is us living in rebellion. That is us saying, we know better than God. And God, you, you know better in some areas, but in these areas over here, I know better than you. And I'm going to control things because I know what's right for me. Even though you're the God of the universe, even though you're the one who created everything, I still know what's right. That's what it means for us to be a sinner. And even worse yet, it means that that we seek to take God off of his throne and to kill him. To set ourselves in the place of the true king. That's what it means for us to be a sinner. We must admit that we are sinners. We must admit that we are the ones who are rebelling against God. We must admit that we are totally, absolutely corrupt and broken. We must admit that. We can't push it off on another person. We can't push it off on a, another system. We can't push it off on, on another governmental system or another, another party. Instead, we have to own the idea that we're messed up, that we're broken rebels who deserve God's punishment. And until we are willing to admit that about ourselves, we will not see our need for a savior we won't see our need for jesus we won't see our need for someone to pay the penalty that we deserve a penalty that, that we can't pay on our own because we are not perfect instead we will continue to try to pay that penalty on our own we will continue to try to work our way to god by doing good works by doing good things by doing whatever else it is that, that we think that is going to earn us favor with god and earn us a place in eternal life but that cannot happen that will not work. We cannot work our way to eternal life because the payment for sin, the payment for sin is death. And the only one who can pay that price on our behalf is someone who has lived a sinless life. And the last time I checked, no one is sinless. I'm not sinless. You're not sinless. No one in this world is sinless. We will never reach a state of sinlessness in this world. 
And so we cannot pay our own penalty. The only person who lived a sinless life is Jesus. But instead of foregoing the wrath of God, He actually took that on Himself and He took that on Himself for us. Jesus sacrificed Himself for us. Jesus died in our place. And that death, that death might seem like it was the end. It certainly seemed like it was the end for these two men on the road to Emmaus. But that death was just the beginning. You see, the Jesus' death did not hold. Jesus defeated death. Jesus rose from the grave. And His resurrection proves that His sacrifice was sufficient. You see, if the resurrection were not a reality, if if Jesus did not resurrect from the grave, then we would have nothing to celebrate here this morning because Jesus would have just been another common criminal who was nailed to another Roman cross 2,000 years ago and placed in another grave. But that was not the case. The grave did not hold Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave just as he said that he would. And it is Jesus' resurrection that is the Father's stamp of approval on all of Jesus' life and all of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. And this has always been God's plan, to deal with sin through the death of the Christ who would then resurrect to new life. And all those who believe that This happened. All of those who who believe that will experience eternal life. They too will, will resurrect from the grave one day to live with Jesus for all of eternity. All of those who repent of their sins can experience peace and hope that Jesus and only Jesus can offer. You see, Jesus breaks into these men's life to provide them with hope. He encounters them on the road to Emmaus. And we need an encounter just like that as well. But, and this is huge, we won't be able to admit our need and see Jesus for who He is until we have eyes to see in an upside-down world. And let me show you what I mean. Just as Jesus finished walking with them through the Scriptures, they reached Emmaus, and, and not wanting the conversation to end, the, the two men, they, they, they invite their traveling partner to stay with them and to dine with them that night. And, and at first Jesus was like, oh, I don't know. But then, then, he, then he agreed. He agreed to stay with them. And as they were dining together, something significant happened, verses 30 and 31. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And do you remember what Jesus did at the Passover meal, the, the last supper, just a few days prior to all of this happening? He took the bread, he broke that bread, and, and he passed that bread around the table. And as he passed that bread around the table, he said, This is my body, which is given for you. And Jesus is telling them that he is a sacrificial lamb whose body would be broken and whose blood would be spilt for them. And it's his blood that would cover them. The blood that was placed on the doorpost that night in Egypt, the Passover. That is the same blood that Jesus is saying, that blood represents me. That blood and that sacrifice that took place back then, thousands of years, pointed to me. 
And it pointed to the, my sacrifice. It pointed to my body being broken for you. It pointed to my blood covering you if you would believe. And if you would believe that I am the Savior. And Jesus is saying at this Passover meal, that is me. I will be broken for you. My blood will be spilt for you. And as Jesus breaks that bread with those two men on the road to Emmaus or in Emmaus now, they recognize Jesus. They recognize Him for who He is. They recognize that all of the things that has taken place over the last few days was according to plan. And that Jesus truly is the Savior. That Jesus' death was for them. They didn't recognize this because, and they didn't recognize this at first because their eyes weren't open, but now their eyes are opened. And their eyes were opened because God opened their eyes. The verb that is used here is a divine passive meaning that, that God opened their eyes. And without that occurring, they would not have seen Jesus for who he really is. But God did open their eyes, and they did believe in Jesus. That tells us then that if we're going to see in an upside-down kingdom, Jesus must change the way that we see. He must give us eyes to see in an upside-down world. If that does not occur, we will not see how death can equal life. How a crucified Messiah provides salvation and redemption. If Jesus doesn't give us eyes to see in an upside down world, we won't see him and his kingdom for what it really is. We will not know the hope of the resurrection. Instead, we will continue to believe that that is just another idle tale. That those crazy, foolish people over there believe. How can they believe that death equals life? How can they believe that that is what provides them with salvation and redemption? Jesus must give us eyes to see that so that we will not recognize that as just another idle tale, but that we will believe and that we will place our hope and our trust in Jesus as our Savior. You see, we not only need to hear the true gospel, we need an encounter with Jesus that redirects our hopes from the things of this world to the things of his kingdom. And we need eyes to see in an upside down world. And once we are given those eyes to see, what, what should we do? Well, those who are given eyes to see in an upside down world, they should go and they should tell. Just like Jesus' disciples did. Look at verses 33 to 35. And they rose that same hour, the disciples who had seen Jesus for who he really is, the God-sent Savior, and they returned back to Jerusalem. Seven miles they ran back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Recognizing Jesus for who he really is, it, it should drive us to mission. It should drive us to reach out to the lost, to the confused, to the hopeless, with, with the message of hope, trusting that Jesus will give them eyes to see him for who he really is as well. You see, being a Christian is not just about us believing so that we can get our fire insurance. It's not just about us walking down an aisle and being dunked in a baptistry that is, that is behind me. Those who are Christians are followers of Jesus. 
Jesus. They allowed Jesus to direct their lives. They allowed Jesus to tell them how they are to live and they work for God's glory. And the thing that brings God glory is by obeying His mission to seek and to save the lost, to be a part of that mission, to go and to tell just as these men did. And you know, this was not an isolated incident. No, as, as they're talking to the men, Jesus, he, he just appears in the room with them. And He confirms all of the things that they had been saying. He opens their eyes so that they see Him as the God-sent Savior, as the Christ. And then he, he sends them out and He empowers them to be sent on mission with the Spirit. And so we should do that as well. We should be a people who are on mission. We should be a people who go and spread the good news of the gospel. You see, if we want to experience true hope, we have to have an encounter with the risen Savior who is able to provide us with eyes to see in an upside-down world. And that encounter should affect us so much that we are driven to live on mission for Him. And so today... Today, we celebrate. We celebrate what Jesus has done in our life. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the sufficiency of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. We celebrate the fact that Jesus has defeated death because that's exactly what He has done. We celebrate and we are amazed at the fact that those who believe in Jesus will also be resurrected to a new life. We find hope and we find comfort in that today. Many of you, many of you are still looking for that hope. And I want you to know that, that that offer of hope is held out to you today. On the road that day, there were, there were two men that were walking along with Jesus. And on that road, one of those men was named Cleopas. But the other man, his name is not given and I don't think that, that, his man, that this man's name is not given because Luke doesn't know his name. I think Luke knows his name, but I think that man's name is not given for a reason. Luke is inviting us into the story. Luke is inviting us to take the place of that unnamed man on the road to Emmaus. And you could be that man. You could be that man. You could experience hope and salvation and redemption just as these two men did, just as the disciples did by believing the truth about Jesus. And that's what I want for you today. I want you not only to, to hear the true gospel today, but I also want for your eyes to be open so that you see Jesus for who he is, the God-sent Savior who provides us with hope and who provides us with peace, hope that this world could never offer to us, hope that is only found in Jesus, hope that drives us to be on mission. Is Jesus giving you eyes to see himself for who he really is this morning? Do you believe in Jesus? that He took your punishment, that He died in your place? Do you believe that He defeated death, that He rose from the grave? Are you willing to repent of your sins, to your unbelief, to turn from, from following yourself, to turn to following Jesus, to take your hands off of your life? 
If you believe those things, if you are willing to repent, if you're willing to take your hands off of your life and to turn to Jesus and allow Him to lead you, then the hope of the resurrection can be yours today. You see, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we can have hope. And won't you believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior today? Won't you repent of your unbelief today? Won't you turn to Jesus today? If you want to experience true hope, you can. If you will turn to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, the hope that you have been longing for, the hope that you have been searching for, can be yours today. Believe in Jesus, for He has risen just as He said. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the resurrection. We thank You for the hope that we can have. And God, today I pray that, that those who have experienced that hope, that we, would, that we would celebrate, that we would worship You today, that we would be pushed out on mission to draw others in to You. And Lord, for those who, who are searching for hope, God, I pray that You would work in their life right now, that You would give them eyes to see Jesus for who they really are, that they would quit hoping in the things of the world. God, work in their life now. Bring them to Yourself so that they might experience true hope and true salvation. God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for Easter. And Lord, today might we, might we celebrate. Might we celebrate the risen Savior. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.